Well, welcome to the WCG podcast series. Um, today, we're going to be talking about how the right combination of people, process, and technology can lead to leveraging expert committees in the best possible way in clinical trials. And to join us today, we have um, Bill Stedman, who is the manager of member services at WCG ACI Clinical. Bill will introduce himself very briefly, and then we'll get into a conversation on how the right combination of people can lead to outstanding benefits from expert committees. Over to you, Bill. Thanks, Lakshmi. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk today and to share some insight and our expertise with our audience. So I've been in the industry for about 16 years, uh, started off in clinical data management, and then as my career evolved at WCG ACI Clinical, I became the manager of member services. When we refer to members, uh, these are the international expert physicians and statisticians who embody our expert committee and strategic consulting solutions. So I'm the doctor guy in layman's terms. Perfect. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the role of the right people in managing expert committees. Um, there's a lot of companies that have varying levels of expertise on what expert committees mean. Um, some people may have no idea um, the uh, regulatory agencies may ask them to put an expert committee in place. Some people may have an idea but not know how to execute it. And there are others who are experts but don't have the resources to do it in-house. Um, for anyone thinking about expert committees, can you give some guidance with respect to what they need to think about when they think about the people involved on these committees? Sure. So um, I think you framed that really well with the understanding that uh, as an ex expert service provider, WCG ACI Clinical has to interact with um, potential clients that have variable knowledge base. Um, and a lot of that is underscored by successful communication. There's also an arrangement. Um, I like to think of it threefold in terms of a triangle uh, of collaboration. So we have uh, the sponsor collaborators, we have the expert service provider like WCG ACI Clinical, and then there are the expert committee members, uh, clinicians and statisticians who embody those groups. So I think a tenant of successful and understanding communication and each of those roles and how they interact sets you up relative to success. Um, some of the areas that are most important and that we profile specifically in my work related to the engagement of experts is um, obviously the medical and clinical expertise that's required. You want to profile and engage the right physicians and sometimes statisticians to meet the demands of the clinical trial relative to the committee. Um, regulatory expertise is absolutely essential to understanding how to form and then successfully convene and manage an expert committee. We're very fortunate at WCG ACI Clinical because our senior leadership um, Lindsay, Dr. Lindsay McNair, our Chief Medical Officer for WCG Clinical, uh, Chief Scientific Officer and Founder of ACI Clinical, Dr. Jonathan Seltzer, and our CMO, Dr. Bindi Shaw, are all very much um, aware and involved with the regulatory sphere, any evolution um, and new processes, and can bring them back to educate our team, and most importantly, our clients, so our, our uh, sponsor collaborators, and our expert collaborators to make sure that we're employing the appropriate guidelines, definitions in our committee work. There's also data expertise. Um, we have excellent data management support as part of our committee offerings. Uh, for endpoint adjudication, it's our own homegrown platform that's been developed specifically for the conduct of endpoint adjudication 
taking into account our expert collaborators and our sponsor collaborators. And then I think overall, it's, it's that's all connected with the ability to what we'd like to call the connect the dot expertise. So taking each of those functional areas, weaving them together to reinforce the strength of that triangle for the eventual successful output. Perfect. Um, so Bill, I have a question for you. Okay. Um, I know not all expert committees are created equal. Mm -hmm. um, when people refer to expert committees, they could think about different things. It could mean different things. Success could mean different things. You talked about the important um, triangulation, if you would, between the three kinds of expertise. When these three types of expertise come together in the right way, how do you see success happening? Sure. Um, I think, obviously, in terms of we all have a job to do and, and we all, in collaboration, went across the finish line successfully. So you see adherence to timelines. Um, you see successful deliverables of, of what the project dictates in terms of final product or any interim transfers or data analyses that helps um, success congruous to the clinical trial because a lot of the times these are running concurrent. Um, that's particularly resonant with endpoint adjudication results uh, for sensitive areas and, and therapeutic areas. Um, it also helps for uh, data safety monitoring boards um, and safety assessment committees relative to patient safety, which is tantamount to everything that we do. Um, and I think, you know, really ultimately this, when it's all done correctly and, and we sum this up, this is a important tool in the advancement of drug and device technology and research, um, which helps patients, which is ultimately what we're all working towards. I take a lot of personal satisfaction in knowing and I'm a small mechanism in a larger machine that is, is helping patients. Well put. Um, so you talked a lot about the success, um, about success and what it looks like. Let's look at the flip side. Um, when you've done a lot of studies, you've looked at things being very successful and you've also seen things that are not very successful. When um, things don't go very well, what do you think are some of the people reasons involved there? The underlying tenet to this, Lakshmi, that we've seen um, in a lot of the rescue work that we've done at WCGACI Clinical is it's tantamount to um, failure to communicate. Okay. Whether that's on an interpersonal level, mm -hmm. whether it's um, suspect documentation, mm -hmm. if all of those groups aren't communicating effectively and using the same language to set them up for success, then you see, I think, the other side of that where everything breaks down. If one hand doesn't know what the other is doing, it's hard to support to, you know, a successful outcome. So I think where we excel and what we've employed is excellent written documentation and then also understanding each of the groups that we collaborate with might require some refinement to the particular message um, to them. It's audience engagement and real audience consideration, whether that's a site collaborator, one of the experts that sit on our committees, or the sponsor collaborators that we're fortunate enough to work with. Okay. Also a, a concurrent understanding to that of, especially with our experts, this is usually secondary activity for them relative to their primary patient treatment and, and research to understanding their responsibilities, um, and, and timeliness of communication, I think, really has set us up to success where we've seen where others have faltered when they don't take into account who their collaborators are and their realities. So 
if I have to just encapsulate what you talked about, there is a deep expertise component that is absolutely crucial um, to the success of expert committees. But coupled with that is an important soft skill in terms of how, where, and what you communicate to the various people during the process. Yes, you, you hit the nail on the head. I like alliteration. So um, one of the alliteratives we use a lot in the member services work is the three R's. So it's recruitment, retention, and relationships. Okay. The relationship portion is, is the most gossamer or ephemeral, but it's really the most important because at the end of the day, we're all people. We're on the same team. We need to work together. And when we work together strategically and intelligently, we're successful. Awesome. Well, I hope the tips from Bill were helpful for you to think about when you start compiling the people for your next set of expert committees. Um, I want to conclude with Bill by asking him to complete the following statement. The right combination of people, process, and technology is foundational for successful expert committees because? Because, as we say at WCG, we save lives. This helps us to save lives and helps us to connect with the right people to save more patient lives and advance drug and device technology to benefit the largest demographic possible. Perfect. Thank you so much, Bill, for taking the time and sharing your expertise with us. Thanks, Lakshmi. This was fun. Thanks. Our next speaker is Dr. Bindi Shah, and we will be speaking with Bindi about the process component of expert committees. Bindi is the Chief Medical Officer at WCG ACI Clinical. And before we get into the questions, Bindi, can you just um, tell our audience a few words about your background? Sure. Thank you, Lakshmi. Um, I am a cardiac electrophysiologist, and I was in academic practice for 16 years until um, I left to join ACI WCG uh, about a year ago. And as the chief medical officer, I really just oversee all of our deliverables that have any medical or scientific component. Fantastic. Um, so, Bindi, uh, expert committees have been around for a long period of time, and just in based on your experience, why are good processes foundational to successful expert committees? Sure. Um, so, proper processes are critical to setting up and running expert committees. Um, it's really, so we've learned over time in these types of committees no matter who you put in, as long as you have somebody who is, you know, got the right expertise and credentials, you should have really sort of reproducible, reliable results. And that's if your processes are set up properly. Um, so it's really all about the process. You want to create a process that's validated and reproducible. And you want to get the same results, no matter who is voting. And so over you know, many years of doing this, we've learned that processes can be done well or they can be done poorly. And that's been shown by um, different studies throughout the years and the regulators have really um, identified ACI as one of those companies that has a great process. Great. Um, you know, when people think of expert committees, the first image that typically comes to mind is the experts. Mm -hmm. um, and you're talking about the process. Can you just spend a little bit of time providing our listeners with guidance on what processes um, teams need to think about when deploying expert committees? Sure. 
So there's many steps of the process, um, but if I were gonna think about the four sort of most critical parts um, of the process, let's focus on endpoint committees for uh, the purpose of this discussion. Um, I would probably mention um, case detection, case preparation, case decision, and committee composition. Okay. So if the first were um, that we were going to discuss would be case detection, um, that is basically figuring out which, which events need to be adjudicated. So the experts need to look at which events to validate the results of a clinical trial. And what we try to do and what is critical here is to cast a wide net to make sure that you don't miss your false positives and false negatives um, to validate your results and really deliver the kind of scientific rigor that we want to um, through these committees. So we use an approach for case detection that is SMQ driven. We use medical oversight. And then there's also a triage process. So there's multiple layers that um, are used to make sure that we cast a wide net and don't miss anything for optimal accuracy. So that would be sort of the first section I would talk about. The next would be case preparation. Mm -hmm. So um, what we're referring to here is what the experts are looking at to make their decisions. And you know this may seem simple at first glance, but it's actually not because you know, these experts are busy, so they can't look at an entire patient chart, but they do need to look at the um, you know reports or notes that are important to make the decision that they need to make. And you also want to make sure that you can have a complete case for every single one of your events because there needs to be um, consistency in what they're using to vote. So to give you an example, um, you might not want to say autopsies are necessary to evaluate fatal events because not everybody has an autopsy. Mm. So if you include that in your case packet, then you've just introduced a lot of inconsistency on how they're determining things because half the patients may have them and half that's may right. not. That's so that's sort of a simple example. Okay. So um, thinking about case preparation is important. Mm -hmm. You want to minimize um, the number of events that are considered not accessible. You want them to be able to vote and come to a decision on the majority or all of their cases. You want to demonstrate to the regulators that the data was provided to the adjudicators in a consistent way. And so what we create is a core minimal data set. Okay. And um, again, we draw on lots of experience through the years, a uh, process of learning to figure out what this core minimal data set is. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that's our second mm -hmm. um, sort of category. So the third, I would say, is the case decision. So how do they come to a decision? Mm -hmm. um, and what's critical here is independent voting. Mm -hmm. So we use an online software system that we have created here in-house. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a sort of regulator grade um, software system that the experts can use from their home laptops or their office, and they vote independently. Um, eventually, some of them come together in panel meetings. I won't get into the details of that, but the majority of the voting is done independently so that um, there isn't a dominant personality that's swaying the voting mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, there's real-time voting, which is critical as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an example of why. So we recently had a, um, 
uh, trial that came to us for adjudication after after all of the events um, had been completed, and they asked us to um, you know do endpoint adjudication, and so we had a whole lump of cases. And as the experts looked at them, they said, you know, this is missing or that is missing. I need this set this data to make this decision. And when we went back to the hospitals or the sites, they weren't able to provide that data after the fact. It okay. wasn't available, okay. whatever. And so then what ended up happening was about a third of the cases were voted on as not accessible because of lack of source data, and the FDA shut down the program. Okay. So real-time voting is critical. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you want to minimize variability. So some sort of quality control process. So you can sometimes have cases that go back through the process to make sure that there's consistency in the voting. The fourth um, process that I think is pretty critical is committee composition. Um, I won't get into too much detail because I suspect Bill spoke about this, yeah. um, but you want experts that um, are, you know, um, you, at least regional thought leaders, sometimes national thought leaders, but you want people that are available to do the work that you need them to do um, and spend the time without rushing through things. Um, so sometimes it's a balance between getting that national thought leader and somebody who has availability. Um, and then also it's critical to have geographic variability since so many clinical trials are global now. It's really mm -hmm. important to have representatives from the areas of the country that are being studied. Got it. So when you think about process, as I'm listening to you speak here, Lindy, there is the different steps in executing expert committees but within those steps, I think you're also highlighting the importance of really good data flow processes, mm -hmm. as well as very good communications um, to empower um, the experts to make the right kind of decisions. Yes. Okay. And, you know, that's why I think um, more and more um, biotechs and pharmaceutical companies are using third-party companies like us to create these committees because we are... Um, you know, our sort of one of our primary jobs is to communicate with both the sponsor and the experts and keep that flow of communication um, moving and open. And that's a good segue into the next question, which is, um, you know, at the end of the day, when we think about sponsors and what they're focused on, it's on bringing new drugs to market mm -hmm. and um, bringing the right medicine to the right patients at the right time and mitigating risks during the clinical trial. Yes. How can a well-designed expert committee help mitigate risk during clinical trials? Okay, so um, if it's okay, I will give you another little story because I feel like sometimes that um, expresses my thoughts well. So um, best practices are critical to mitigate risk. So um, a couple of examples. The first is, um, the story of a drug called rosiglitazone. So rosiglitazone is a drug that was used to treat diabetes, and it was approved by the FDA for use in the United States in 1999 based on a 26-week study looking at glucose levels and something called hemoglobin A1C, which is how mm -hmm. we um, monitor how a diabetic is treated. So the drug was approved, and it was um, prescribed um, why there was, you know, many, many patients were prescribed rosiglitazone in the millions. Um, so many patients took this drug for many years. And then um, there was a concern by the manufacturer that there might be an increase in cardiovascular mortality. 
Um, so there was a warning that was put out and then there was a publication that was put out um, by um, a couple of doctors who did a meta-analysis of all the studies they could find in the literature and even unpublished studies mm -hmm. that looked at cardiovascular mortality with the use of rosiglitazone. These studies had lots of different um, methodologies, so they weren't they, they weren't all done the same way. And this meta-analysis showed an increase in cardiovascular mortality with the mm. use of rosiglitazone. Okay. So then um, black box warnings went out. Eventually, the FDA took it off the shelves, and you could only prescribe the drug if you were enrolled in a certain program and you had to sort of you know, lobby for it for a patient. But widespread use of this drug stopped, and it was taken off regular pharmacy shelves. Okay. Then what happened was another group took a look and said, you know, they were, there was a study that was ongoing and this study was actually in a more systematic fashion, like a randomized prospective fashion, looking at cardiovascular mortality with this drug. And mm -hmm. it was five year follow-up. Mm -hmm. When this study was published just a couple years after that meta-analysis, it showed that there was not an increase in cardiovascular mortality with the use of the drug, an increase in hospitalizations for heart failure, but not cardiovascular mortality. And some of the other endpoints that were of concern with this meta-analysis, mm -hmm. these cases were all adjudicated. Okay. Okay. The meta-analysis studies were not adjudicated. Okay. So then the FDA said, well, this is interesting. I'd like another group, and it came out of Duke, to do re-adjudication of all those cases in that five-year trial okay. and to do them with two different methods. So they did that. It took several years and a lot of money, and they found the same results as the initial trial that was adjudicated. Okay. Not a, no increase in cardiovascular mortality. That drug has not been put back on the shelves. So looking at it with the meta-analysis that did not use adjudication or proper processes was such significant risk for this drug and for this company and for the patients that could That's have right. benefited from this drug. That's right. It will never be put back on the regular shelves again. And that's a great, although extreme, example mm -hmm. of showing how there is so much writing on each clinical trials mm -hmm. and such expenses involved and the ramifications of something that incorrectly goes wrong yeah. is terrible. Right. Um, so if they had done these studies early, with the proper processes, the whole story would be different. Different, and the company probably would, you know, still have the drug on the marketplace, yeah. and patients and would patients. be benefiting from it. Yep, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you, Bindi. Um, I asked Bill this earlier, and I'm going to ask you to do this as well. Um, to conclude, I'd like you to complete the following statement: okay. the right combination of people, process, and technology is foundational for successful expert committees because. Because they are critical to provide the transparency, scientific rigor, and precision, as well as consistency that all clinical trials and safety analyses should have. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Bindi. Mm -hmm. I'm sure our audience will learn a lot. And also, um, you've provided plenty of food for thought in terms of thinking about the composition of their next expert committee. Thank you, Lakshmi. Thank it's my you. pleasure. You heard from Bill on the people component of expert committees and Bindi on the process part. I'd like to introduce Mandy Moran, Manager of Innovation and Technology at WCG ACI Clinical. 
Mandy will share her perspectives on how technology can be a huge enabler in executing successful expert committees. Mandy, thank you for joining us today. If you could start off by introducing yourself to our audience, and then we can go through a few questions on how technology plays a crucial role in enabling expert committees. Sure, um, thank you, Lachmi. Um, happy to participate. Uh, my name is Mandy Moran. I've been working in the clinical space for almost 20 years. Um, I came to ACI uh, just over 12 years ago um, and have been involved in the committee's work that we um, have been involved with since the very first adjudication project that we took on at WCG ACI Clinical. So this is a topic that I'm very enthusiastic about and um, I think this uh, will be fun to discuss. Perfect, Mandy. And you know, the beauty of you having this long journey um, doing expert committees at ACI is you've probably seen the role of technology evolve over time. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, but to start off, Mandy, um, there's a lot of discussion around technological solutions to every challenge that's encountered in clinical trials. In your experience, how should people think about the role of technology in running effective and efficient expert committees? Sure. Um, so from my perspective, the technology piece is critical. Um, and if done right, will play a key role in the ultimate success of any adjudication and the overall satisfaction of the sponsor, uh, the adjudicators, and, and any vendors that are, are involved. All of those groups that I just mentioned rely on or interact within the adjudication technology platform in one way or another. And if any of those groups aren't happy with the technology, that dissatisfaction or any inefficiencies of the technology piece, that will impact the ability to accomplish the end goal, um, which of course is running a successful adjudication program that provides and produces usable, valid, clinically relevant data for your clinical or post-marketing trial for your drug, your device, or, or your vaccine. So, you know, at WCG ACI Clinical, when we go to build our technology solution for an adjudication program, most likely you've got your committee in place, that's your people component, you've laid out your process, um, so now you need to develop and deploy the technology platform that's going to support those efforts. And so obviously the importance of having good technology and, and that solution behind your adjudication program is to bring efficiency. Um, we also put a big focus on introducing automation and data integration where possible. It's also important that there's clear visibility into the data for those key stakeholders. Um, it, it's vital for the adjudication vendor uh, to output usable consumable data. Uh, for example, um, at ACI, as an adjudication provider, we need to be able to provide customized reports and data sets to our sponsors. We need to be able to identify trends and performance metrics early identification of potential risks. These things, these are the, the critical measures 
of success of our technology. Uh, we simply cannot do any of these things if we don't have reliable, sound technology in place. And then I think lastly, and in some ways just as important, the technology, it, it must make everyone's jobs and tasks easy and as seamless as possible. At, at the end of the day, we don't want the adjudication technology system, that technology piece, to introduce complexity. We want it to introduce usability, convenience, and efficiency. Beautifully put, Mandy. Um, so what I heard you say is not only is technology foundational to the success of expert committees, but it goes a long way to making sure that each of the key players can do their jobs really well um, during the uh, process. Exactly. So you talked a little bit about some of the benefits. You talked about how you want people's lives to be made easier, data delivery to be more streamlined. When done right, what are some of the other benefits that the right technology can bring to the table for um, all the players? There's members, there's contributors, there is um, clients that are looking at the data elements. What are some of the tangible benefits you can think of? Sure. Um, so, you know, with, with any new technology system, the, the first thing a, a user is going to say to themselves is, um, you know, will this be easy to use? Uh, will it be user-friendly? Is it going to make my job more difficult or, you know, put up a roadblock? Um, will I be trained? You know, th those things are natural. Those are natural questions. In, in everyday life, we experience that. When, when we get a new TV or a, a new gadget, we, we want to open it up and use it right away. Um, we, we don't want to be bogged down with, with manuals and sitting on the phone with calls to a help desk. You want that technology piece to really make life easier. So at WCG ACI Clinical, we look at using our AIMS adjudication platform that same way. We want it to be easy and user-friendly. So these are the things that we have in the front of our mind when it comes to our AIMS system. Um, AIMS being our technology platform, uh, we built AIMS in-house and we've designed it specifically for committees and to allow for that flexibility and customization that's needed in order to support this ever-growing, ever-changing world of adjudication. So to sort of break down some of the benefits, um, let's start with the member user. So when we think of that group, um, we think of these are busy people. They're important people. They, they're often key thought leaders, um, regional leaders. So they're, they're busy. And the challenge that we have is to ask them to block off time to perform adjudication and to use our technology platform. Um, so in order to make this as easy as possible, um, we needed to accomplish a system that um, was a, a place that the adjudicators could go to review events when they're on a plane ride to a conference or um, at their institution, whether they're at home or on the train using their iPad. So we built the AIM system to be entirely web-based um, and accessible from anywhere at any time. Um, another nice feature and benefit 
that we wanted to ensure was part of our adjudication technology platform was that there was um, system generated alerts so that a member, anytime they needed to, to perform a task, that they would be sent an alert so that they're not having to constantly check and monitor an, another database. We, we all have databases and, and so many devices and tasks in our life that we wanted sort of to make this something that was seamless with our daily life. Um, this sounds small, but it's a, it's a big time saver for our adjudicators. And then once they get started or they get this alert, they log in and the adjudication of an, of an event can be done with three simple steps. Um, they access the case, they review the file, and then they submit their vote. So we want it to be, you know, a three, a three step seamless, simple process. Um, the system that we use for technology, the AIM system, this also incorporates bookmarking of those data files that they look at. Um, these files can be rather lengthy, very, very detailed. Um, so we wanted to make the navigation of those very easy, very straightforward. Um, so having a system that they use that allows for that was important to us. Um, and then we wanted to also add additional features and tasks that they need to perform so that they could do them within that same technology platform. Um, they can hold meetings in our, in our system. They can request additional data. Um, they can look at previous cases for the same subject. So these were some of the, the feedbacks and the keys that we've received over you know, our, our 20 almost years of adjudication. Mm -hmm. um, so, so these were the fundamental pieces that we felt made technology um, convenient for our, our adjudicators, for our members. Um, and then shifting to some of the benefits in terms or from the sponsor and contributor perspective, um, we wanted to ensure that, that our technology was regulatory compliant, that it was fully audited. Um, these things are important, especially because of the increased regulatory scrutiny that surrounds adjudication, um, as everyone can appreciate, especially with the current state, um, having some sort of regulation and uh, audit trails, documentation, those things surrounding our technology is, is key. It's critical. It is a deal breaker from a sponsor perspective if you, if you don't have these pieces in place. Great. In addition to that, um, our, our technology provides real-time data a full suite of reports at your fingertips as a sponsor or a contributor. It's a secure environment for sharing source documents. Um, that's really a, a big factor you need to take into consideration with adjudication or any type of trial um, involving personal data. And then I've mentioned some automation earlier. Um, something that is important and, and we look at it as vital is automation of those case packaging uh, tasks that need to be performed for an adjudication. Um, translation and redaction, these, these things can be completed within our technology platform. And in the past, these were often done outside of the system. So 
as a convenience and just out of everyday use and what makes sense. Um, we wanted to bring these things together so that people aren't moving from system to system. We wanted something that was all-encompassing in the technology that, that we offer to sponsors. Um, and then lastly, at the end of the adjudication, you, you want to be able to provide data that's useful. Um, it, you know, people are spending a lot of um, a lot of time, financial investment. Uh, so, being able to hand something over that comes directly out of this technology platform is key, is critical, is is necessary. So, that's something that we look at from our technology as as being, you know, that some of the top benefits to the technology that you would put in place for an adjudication. That's wonderful, Mandy. I think I heard a few big headlines there. Um, first of all, that um, when done right, members or busy physicians and clinicians really can spend the least amount of time on um, getting their job done right. So we provide all of the tools and data they need so that they can do what they do best, which is provide their clinical opinions. Um, the second piece I heard is just how important um, regulatory compliance is and making sure that things are done in a regulatory compliant manner. And last but not the least, that at the end of the day, um, expert committees are done to generate value-added data and having the right kind of reporting coming out is also a very, very key benefit of um, the right technology platform. Exactly. Um, so you talked about a number of things um, that are benefits. I just want to ask you, there are companies who have varying levels of expertise on conducting expert committees during clinical trials. Um, be it a novice or be it an experienced company, what are some of the questions they should be asking uh, either themselves or their suppliers on the right technology platform to deploy for expert committees? Sure. Excellent question. Um, this is something that I often discuss with sponsors um, early and often. Um, the first thing I always want to present is, is how will this adjudication database, this technology that WCG ACI Clinical could offer for your adjudication program, how do you envision that interacting with your current processes and your current databases? So in clinical trials and post-marketing trials, this is a big machine. There's, there's a lot going on and often adjudication, if it's not required, it, it may be identified as you're already in the midst of your trial, you have a process, you have tasks, people, a fully running machine, and you're midway through and you're alerted of this need for adjudication. So it, it, a lot of times it's sort of a scramble. Um, and so what you really need to think about is what, what do you already have in place and how will that merge seamlessly with bringing on an adjudication vendor that has its own technology. So it's really important from a sponsor perspective to make these things first and foremost and, and consider them so that you're not interrupting a working process. At, at ACI, we want to join and merge with whatever process and technologies you have in place. So 
that's the, the easiest way to say that is how will the adjudication database interact with your current processes and the databases that you use? Um, next would be what type of data is needed for the experts to adjudicate events? And can the adjudication database support those data requirements? Um, an example would be if you're running a, a, a neurology study and you're going to have DICOM images and the members need to view these DICOM images, is the, the vendor and the technology that they provide, does that, does that support these type of files? Um, will you be doing video adjudication? So these are some, some things that you need to make sure that you're working with the right technology. Um, to support the needs of your clinical trial and of your adjudication. And then what type of training and support is, is offered? Um, th that's really important because, as I mentioned earlier, the adjudicators are, are busy people. The key for us is making sure that that technology doesn't impede, um, you know, the ability for them to do their job. So, ensuring that the that any user in the system is going to be given training, that there's support available. Those things are important. Um, we often take it for granted, but you you just as a as a sponsor want to be comforted and um, confident that the system and the technology that you select with your vendor, that they're offering support for you, that they're that they're there um, because this data that you're handing over and this, um, adjudication project, you need to, to be ensured that you're going to get value out of that and that the data that they give you, that's everything. Um, that's going to be the whole end deliverable is the data that comes out of that technology. And then lastly, I think sponsors should be asking, how will they access the data? Um, can I access it? Is it real time? Um, what is the format? So if you're if you're doing all of these tasks in a database, you want to make sure that what you get what you get after that adjudication is complete is useful, that you can digest it, that it's consumable, um, and that it has value. So those are, I think, in my mind, some you know four four things that you want to ask: the interaction of the the adjudication technology with your existing databases the types of data that, that is needed for the adjudicators to review events, the training, and then accessibility and usability of that data. Great. Um, so also to think early and think about partnering are two big themes I heard um, in what you talked about. Exactly. And I had mentioned um, mostly what I focused on was if, if, adjudication is being brought on midway through. Um, ideally, adjudication is, is brought on and is thought of at the start of your clinical or your post-marketing trial. That, that, in that way, that's a benefit. That's great. You can really put thoughtful planning into setting up all of your systems and your vendors to work together with interactive databases or with that data integration piece. Um, so, depending on where you're at when you're bringing adjudication on will impact or dictate some of the things that need to be important when considering the technology and the adjudication vendor. Great. 
Um, Mandy, I asked both Bill and Bindi to complete the following statement, and I'm going to conclude our interview here um, by asking you to do the same. Um, I'd like you to complete the following statement. The right combination of people, process, and technology is foundational for successful expert committees because? Oh, okay, great. I like this question. Um, I think it's it's foundational for expert committees because adjudication is a collaborative partnership between sponsor, adjudicators, and often multiple vendors, many with complex moving pieces, all needing to work together seamlessly in order to achieve success. Perfect. Mandy, thank you so much for taking the time um, to educate our listeners on the technology component of um, expert committees. Um, to our listeners, I hope the people, process, and technology thoughts shared on this podcast do help you with your next expert committee. Thank you so much for listening in to this podcast. <laughs>